Mm. Good stuff. Big God. Seriously, by the way. Big God. You think so? You know what? We struggle to see how big God is. We struggle to see how big God is. And too often, I and we have a view of God that's about this big. And he's big. For the last couple of months, we've been uh, working and studying through the book of Titus and taking a look at what does it look like to be a church that is full throttle for Christ? What does it take? What's involved? What's it look like? And uh, I really hope that you and I are walking away each Sunday and kind of going, wow, God's really got a high calling on the follower of Christ. I mean, God's really got a high calling on the follower of Christ. And, and God has a high calling on his church. And this church is actually really trying to be serious about that. God's got a high calling on our lives. But I also want to have us be careful because there's the potential as we go through this and talk about what does it look like as a church that's kicking it out for Christ like that as a team full throttle out. There's the potential for us to be able to walk away after we've been through the text and it's talking about leadership and uh, older men and women stepping up to the plate and younger men and women stepping up to the plate and pastors stepping up to the plate and lay people stepping up to the plate. One of the things that can actually begin to happen out of that is we begin thinking that we're the feud, the proud, and the better than everybody else people. I want to bring us to some reality today. Because the fact of the matter is, is this and this as a church is all about people that are completely, totally depraved. This story really is about a group of people that are completely and utterly incapable of on their own changing the position and condition that they're in apart from Christ completely. This story really here is all about grace, God's unmerited favor. This story here, what we're talking about full throttle really is talking about a people that are about Christ, not about ourselves, about Christ and about Christ alone together. Here's the cool thing. We're in a peck of trouble, but grace changes everything. In fact, let's take a look at our text, Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. We had started in the first seven verses there. Uh, For the grace of God has appeared, referring to Jesus Christ, and bringing us, bringing salvation for all people. Grace changes two things, the first of which grace changes my position. Grace changes my position. Or really what should be stated here is grace can change my position. Uh, The text here says, bringing salvation for all people. Christ came bringing salvation for all people. Three questions come out of that statement. 
Question number one, why is there a need for salvation? Why is there a need for being rescued? I mean, is there really a need for it? Yes, there is. And let me talk about some bad news here for a little bit. Okay, got some bad news. The bad news is told to us in Romans chapter 3 that I alluded to earlier. No one is righteous, not one. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I just want to tell you, that's some bad news. Because that's a universal statement. That includes me, that includes you, and that includes everybody on this planet. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All. And then Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, it's saying, let's go back. All have sinned. No one is righteous. All have sinned. Therefore, all have earned the right to be separated from God. See, the death there is not just talking about physical death. It's really in the context referring to a spiritual separation from God. Yes, God created us, but sin came along and caused a barrier. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong, the Old Testament says. So the bad news is this. We are all started in the condition of sin separated from God, earning separation from God. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Doug, do you like talking about that? I don't like talking about that at all. (laughs) I don't want to talk about that stuff. But listen to me. If we don't see the reality of it, the rest of the story isn't all that big of a deal. You see, because if we don't have a problem, then we really don't have a need. If we don't have a problem, then we really don't need a solution. But the Bible talks about straight up for men and women, teens that can handle it. It says, listen, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the cool stuff. Because question number two out of this is, is why is there a need for salvation? The question number two is, okay, if I'm a sinner separated from God, is there a solution to my salvation, to my sin situation? And the answer is... Absolutely, there is. That's the great news. And by the way, listen, it's not all that great of a news if I don't see a great sin problem. If I'm in the situation where I just need a little bit of God, I just need to be a little bit of fixing up, I just need a cute little religious Jesus trophy on my life shelf. If that's all it is, then it's kind of like, yeah, God died for me and he paid the price. and (laughs) Yeah, cool. But if it's over here and we understand what the scriptures say that we are completely, utterly... Totally depraved, totally separated from God. He loves us, but he's holy, and he could not call us right and holy because of sin. But here's the good, great news. For the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23, but it goes on to say, but. By the way, but is a good word. It's a comparative for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Good news, friends. You see, and when we see the reality of I am a big sinner, we then see the reality of I see a great big God. Otherwise, it's just like God's just about this big. But when I see the reality of the situation, this becomes like Whoa, you rock. For grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Question number three out of this. So is this referring to a universal salvation? I mean, the way I would read that there 
is that we might under have the understanding that, okay, all have sinned and all are separated from God, but when Jesus Christ died, everybody's been brought back to God and everything's taken care of and we're all in good ship shape. That's not what this is saying. This is saying we are sinners separated from God and God has brought us something. Jesus Christ has come bringing us salvation. In other words, what that means is it's right here. And what I'm referring to, it's right in Christ. It's not universal salvation applied is what the text is talking about. The text is talking about a universal opportunity provided. It's not universal salvation. It's a universal opportunity. You see, because we interpret scripture through scripture, because other passages of scripture like John 1, 12 say, and this is a testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Actually, this is 1 John 5, 11 through 13. And this is a testimony, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son, she who has the son has life. It also goes on to say, he, she who does not have the son of God, it says does not have life. This is great news and there's a problem in there as well. Uh, John 1.12 does say, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. This isn't about, aren't we better? This is about the fact that God has brought salvation and made it available. It's there. Jesus Christ did for you what you and I could not do for ourselves. A holy God needed a payment for our sin. And so what did God do? God just rocked it out and came in our place and died for me and died for you. And did what I could not do for myself. And did what you cannot do for yourself. And here's the question. Do you know that grace? Do you? I'm not talking about do you know about. Because listen, I know about George Washington. I know about Abraham Lincoln. I know about Hitler. So... It does not change life direction. You see, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. This is about a complete life course change. Something completely opposite of what I've been. In fact, I'd like for you to listen to a story of Rusty and God's grace in his life. I grew up going to church. Um, My mom took us to church. I had two older brothers and a, and a younger sister. And uh, she'd haul us off to church by herself all the time. My dad didn't go. He might come on, on Easter and Christmas. That'd be it. So uh, I really didn't like church. Um, my brothers even would sometimes when I was, I was the youngest of the boys, and they would say, hey, today you, you pretend to be sick. And I'll stay home with you and take care of you. We won't have to go to church. Uh, that's, that's just the way it was. None of us liked church. Um, our mom was faithful to bring us, but it just had no impact on us at all. So fast forward. Um, I'm married. I have two kids. And I'm living a life in the world. Um, 9-11 comes around. And it wakes me up a little bit. I'm, I realize... Wow, you know, life has an end, and that uh, I could be snatched out of this this world at any point. And and what does that mean? You're so vulnerable. You don't know what's going to happen. Then another crisis comes forward. Uh, around the same time, 
to practice geology in Indiana, you have to have a license. And my license had expired, and I didn't know it. Um, but as a result of that, I was continuing to uh, sign documents as a licensed geologist. And a, a guy, a regulatory person, it took offense to that um, and, and uh, petitioned the license branch in Indiana. And they revoked my license. Of course, it had expired already. But I couldn't, I was in turmoil there. I couldn't rectify that problem. And, and my whole livelihood was dependent on that. How I defined who I was was that license. I'd spent my life, uh, a large part of it, as a geologist, and it could be stripped away. And I was just confused and so, and so lost at that point. So these crises came and, and stripped away all the, the stuff in the world that uh, causes me just to be blind. And, and uh, it was, began to be clear that I had fashioned a God of my own like, my own making. Uh, I was, I believed in evolution. I believed uh, that this wasn't necessarily created, uh, that God had created it, but he used evolution. And, and uh, that, that was just stole the glory from God of this creation. How could I do that? And uh, uh, all the other sins in my life, you know, the, the lying and the lusting and the, and the stealing and the it was just not right, and it was. I got downwind of myself, and and I could smell how how awful it was, and and how how offensive it was to God. And I can remember driving down the down the road uh, and just repenting to God, just saying, "Oh God, please forgive me for for taking the glory of Your creation, the wonder of this world, and the immensity of it, you know, uh, away from You." And and just crying out to him that, that he please forgive me and uh, and uh, the realization as I did that and as time passed on how how I know you know God did forgive me and and that Christ died on the cross for my sins he he he, uh, he atoned for those transactions and and his blood covered my sin and by that grace and that 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 wonderful goodness of God, uh, I can be covered. My sins were covered, and that that's just um, amazing to me. That God did that for me because I have no value, uh, really. I I spit in His face most of my life, and uh, knew better, and denied Him, and and that that grace that He gives out free. You begin to love him, and you're so thankful that you want to live a life that's in obedience to him because of what he did. And and he he says that he changes your heart, and he take, takes out this heart of stone, and he puts in a heart of flesh. And that heart of, of flesh is so precious, and you're so thankful for it that he, he would do that. And uh, you live in that grace and that understanding. There's, there's nothing. I love Rusty's statement, and I'll leave it this way. Have you gotten downwind? Have you gotten downwind and smelled the condition of who you are before a holy God? 
Have you gotten downwind, smelled the condition of who you are before a holy God, and seen the great answer to the problem? The Bible says, as many who has confessed, that if I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. Understand, again, it's not just some simple platitudinal statement. We're talking about, I've been walking this way, and this is leading to sin and destruction and separation from God. And God, I confess to you, this is the direction I'm going. And God, I need to make a change. I need to receive Christ as the Savior for my sin condition. And God, I want to start living for you. Has there been a time where you've done that in your life? If not, I want to challenge you because, listen, we play games. We play games where I'm good, you're good, we're all good. I got a high self-esteem. I got this or that or this or that. I just want to tell you, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but he's brought a solution. Has grace changed your position? Secondly, grace doesn't only change, not only can grace change my position, but grace, therefore, as a result, changes my life ambition. Grace changes my ambitions. Let's look at the text. Verse 12, leading into it. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, making it available to all people. Verse 12, training us to do some things. I just want to pause there for a minute because it's a really pretty cool statement to think about. Uh, grace trains us. What does that mean? Grace trains me. Grace teaches me. Grace guides me. How is that so? I don't quite get it. I've never thought of grace training me. I just thought grace is something nice and sweet and fun and and huggable. Here's how grace trains. Grace trains by what we understand about truth. And as I've already talked about, it's this idea that in the fact of the reality is, is that I'm a sinner before God, completely incapable of changing my condition. I cannot work and do enough good works to be able to earn God's favor. I mean, how many good works do you have to do to be able to earn God's favor? Ten a day? A hundred a day? The Bible says you can't. There are not enough. And so when I come and realize that that's the condition that I'm in, and God, in his grace and his love for me and his mercy, sent himself, the second person of the Trinity, down to live, to, to die, and to pay the price for my sin, and now he's making it available to say, listen, the payment's been done, now you have a choice. And the fact is, is that when I was seven years old, having received that gift that God has laid out there, gift Christmas time, I have a gift for you, but you have to receive it. That when I receive that gift, everything's different. Everything's different. I have gone from being dead to God, separated from God, to now what Ephesians says is I am now a child of God, an heir of God, one of God's own. I have gone from bringing him complete unpleasure and no worship in my life to now having the opportunity to be a life worshiper of him. Bingo! I'm psyched about that deal. And the more I come to understand what that transaction reality all encompasses, the more the fact I look at that and I go, that had nothing to do with me. That had everything to do with God making his grace available. And my goodness, I'm ready to have a different life because of it. It's about changing my residence. 
I have been residing separated from God in a household, as, as it talks about, in, with the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. And now I am a child of the living, big, creator, holy God. That's cool. And that changes everything. You see, when I have a big view of the reality of my condition and I have a big view of the grace that has been provided, all of life becomes different. That's how grace trains me. And it trains me to do three things. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. A renounce is to give up, is to disregard, as the New International Version says, it says to say no to. In other words, I put it this way, I'm dead to that. As, as I've been living in the past as someone separated from God, this was my residence before. Now having received Christ as my Savior, this is my new residence. What am I doing living like that when I'm in a new residence? But yet you and I all know about this, don't we? Here's the reality. Short of heaven, we are still in the struggle. I'm bent to sin. And this is why when we come to God through grace, we cannot live by works, earning God's favor after that. Because listen, every time I sin, I'm, yet I am held in the hand of God, God's grace is still extended to me all the time. All the time. All the time. I don't reside here because I'm good. You don't reside here because you do good. You reside here because of God's grace. And I want to be dead to that. I'm just tired of that. It hurts. It's painful. It bites. Now, it's not just about being dead to something, but it's about living for something. I'm dead to that, but I'll live for that. Uh, look at the text. I'll live for that. Uh, it says, uh, uh, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, and to live one self-controlled. That means this idea of living with sense, this idea of not running aimlessly. Over here in life, life was like this. Ah! Okay, I'm a dork, self-admitted. But that's what running aimlessly is about. It's like, what's running like this for? I'm just over here going, woo, life's about me. I'm just doing whatever I want. Bring it on, rock it out. And yet a life self-controlled sees the reality that, yeah, woo, rock it out. And there's a whole lot of struggle. And I'm not just talking earthly, but I'm also talking about eternal. And yet then over here, it's the self-controlled. My goodness, I have changed residency. And this is like a sweet residency over here. And there's a different objective on how living in this residency looks. And it's not like crud. I got to give all that up. It's like, yeah, I get to be about this stuff. This is awesome. This is magnificent. I wouldn't want that because that stinks. This is awesome. 
This is what I want to be about. It's about living life self-controlled. Second, it says it's about living upright. Self-controlled is the internal part. It's the internal part. The, the uh, Living upright is the external part. It's I'm thinking differently. I'm driven drif- differently. I'm about something that's different, but I'm also living that out. It shows in my life. Not perfect, but I'm becoming more and more like Christ. I want to be like Christ. I want to please him with my life. It's living upright. Third, it says that it's godly living. Godly lives in this present age. This is also about, it's not only about me internally, it's not about me externally, it's about the reality of me vertically. I now have the opportunity where I once in that residence was completely separated from God. And yet now in this residence, I completely have the opportunity to have an ongoing relationship with God. Dude, I'm so about that part of it. With God. I get godly living. Uh, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, says, but whatever was to my profit over there, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to, this is a comparison statement, compared to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've given up all things that I may know him. Over here, this is living with, residing with, and experiencing life with a gracious redeemer. Over there, it's all about me. Separated from God, frankly, without eternal hope. We have a choice. We have a choice. We can change our position. God has made that a realistic reality. And the change of position should be resulting in a change of life ambition. Is it for you? Is it? Is the change of position resulted in a change of life ambition? Hmm. Grace. But it doesn't end there one last thing because it's about waiting for something. Take a look. It's about living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. In other words, right now, but verse 13, waiting for. You see, it's about, I'm dead to that. I'm living for this. And while I'm dead and while I'm living, I'm looking forward to that. I'm waiting for something. What am I waiting for? Look, I'm waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, why is he a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? Because verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. I love that statement. Do you know that? That when you come to Jesus Christ, you are his own possession. It's not about, I feel good. It's not about, oh, no more problems. I wish that was the case. It's about the fact of, of now I'm his possession. I am his child. The scripture says I am his heir. I'm going to have eternal life with God. And is this something worth getting a little bit uptight and cranked up about? Absolutely, friends. Because it changes everything. It's not just about a concept that's neat and cuddly and warm. It's about an entire life course 
change. Everything is different because of Jesus Christ. So I just want to close with these two questions. Has there been a time in your life where you've driven the stake in the ground and received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been? As many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in, by the way, it's not just an intellectual, but it's everything we've been talking about, who have placed their life in. I write these things to you, believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Has there been a time in your life where you've driven the stake in the ground and received Jesus Christ as your savior? Or are you banking on your good works? For by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. Secondly, if you've come to know Jesus Christ as your savior, how's the change going? You see, it's a residency shift. And why would I live over here the way I used to live over there? It doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. And I would conclude this. The reason is, is because I don't see my sinful bent big enough. Because if I did, I would see how incredibly blessed I am to be able to be here with Christ. And I would want nothing to do with that. But we're in this struggle together. Have you come to know Christ as your Savior? And are you changing? After the service, we're just going to have a peop- couple people down here. And if it's the kind of thing to where you're at a place where it's like, man, you know, Rusty's testimony, Karen's testimony, or just what we've been talking about from the word, I'm just not sure. I'm frankly, I'm not sure. We'll just have a couple people down here. And when we dismiss, you can just come on down and we're not going to make a big deal out of it. And you can just welcome to talk. Or if you're with someone, talk with them. I'm not really sure. I've been to a number of funerals over the years. And one of the things that often comes up is if someone makes the comment, It's so nice knowing that they're with God. And maybe I'm a bit of a cynical person. But as I understand the scriptures, here's what I'm thinking in my head. How do you know that? Really? How do you know that? And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things so that you will know grace. It's all grace. It's all grace. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much for your grace. I want to thank you so much for your patience and your goodness in our lives. I want to thank you so much for your patience and your goodness to me. I thank you for your patience and your goodness to Rusty and to Karen. I thank you for your goodness and your patience and your grace for so many here. And yet, Lord, I would just pray if there's anyone here who's not sure, 
who or knows that they have not made that life change. Oh God, I pray that they would see this as big enough and as important enough to make sure. And maybe today is their day of salvation. Maybe today is a day for a complete life course change with the God of the universe. Or you are good. And we are not. And it's only because of your grace do we have hope. You are good. And we praise you for it. Thank you for the Messiah that has come. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.